listening to episode 69 of the Anagram Journey podcast with Anagram Godmother, best-selling author, and world-renowned speaker, Suzanne Stabile. My name is Joel, and I'm so happy to get to introduce Suzanne's guest today, Sean Palmer, who is an Anagram 3. Sean is the teaching pastor at, and I, I swear I say this name wrong more times than I get it right, Ecclesia, Ecclesia in Houston. He is a speaker and a writer as well, and he and his wife Rochelle, who's an Anagram 1, live in Houston with their two daughters. In today's episode, there's a weird reference to some party bus trip in New York City that I'm going to need some answers to someday. How do different numbers handle failures such as losing a job? And we get to hear how threes don't cut corners, they find efficiencies. I'm also really grateful that Sean sheds some light on the movement for him to the high and low sides of stress and security. Finally, we were one week away from the Anagram journey live in Dallas, and then Saturday, Suzanne's teaching on the four mantras, relationships, and the Anagram. Tickets for both events are still available at lifeinthetrinityministry.com, or you can find the link at suzannestabile.com or theanagramjourney.org. Thank you all so much for listening and for your continued support. And we hope you enjoyed today's episode and to see you soon at an upcoming event. Okay, I want to talk about so much. So uh, let me just say that I've, I've tried really hard because of um, mistakes I've made in previous experience to be sure that what I say is what I really mean and not... Um, schmoozing or blowing smoke because I don't think that helps in the kind of podcast that I want to have. Okay. You are one of the most interesting and one of the healthiest threes I've ever met. I don't think that speaks well of threes. (laughs) Well, that's the way it goes. (laughs) You're going to have to live into that. That's pretty smoozy. Is it? Yeah. Even if it's true? Um, No, I'm not debating the truth of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I just think it's very difficult to be a healthy three in our culture, in our country, in our time. She's never said to me, her son, that I'm one of the most healthy sevens that she knows. So, Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, now I feel <laughs> i go sit in the corner for a while. I feel like if I said it now, it wouldn't have it much would punch. <laughs> no. <laughs> Doesn't feel like the right time. And whenever it does happen, we're like, you're just saying this because you told Sean yeah. Palmer that he's one of the most there healthy There you go. Threes. Yeah. So, um, this, this is a three in therapy who's married to a therapist by training. So. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not saying you, you didn't have help. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like Joe says, I have constant tutoring. Of course, I'm good at what I'm doing. Can you remember a time when you were caught in threeness and when you were caught up in all the stuff and it didn't feel disingenuous or unhealthy or unsafe. Oh, I'm not, I'm not sure I totally understand the question. Um, can, yeah, can I can say it. Yeah. Um, let me just say that uh, threes by themselves thinking time by saying something like that and nines by themselves thinking time by saying, what? So I'm just going to put that out there. Okay. Let me say it this way. 
I don't think you come to healthy threeness in Texas, in America, in current time without recognizing that there is a limit to unhealthy threeness and merging with the culture. Mm, okay. Okay. Do you remember times or a time when you thought, man, there's more to me than making the system work and finding my place in it? Yeah, I think for me, maybe in 2004, I had like just a, a series of failures over, started in 2004 that lasted into 2008. And um, some of that had to do with the congregation where I was working. Um, and then in that same time, my wife lost her father. My wife's an only child, Rochelle's an only child. And that was very devastating. Um, we had our first daughter, Malia, and that was a miracle for us. We weren't supposed to ever be able to have children. Well, you got two winners. Yeah, we, we're very blessed. Uh, they, are, they are great kids, which really doesn't have very much to do with us. People keep telling us that we're wrong about that, but I tell them, no, it really doesn't have much to do with us. They, it was, that software was downloaded when we got them. And uh, so, I mean, Malia was born, and four months later, her dad died. Um, after years of us trying to get pregnant. And then we had some financial setbacks. We almost lost our house that we were living in. I lost my job. We ended up moving to California. And that was not um, ideal for us from almost day one. That was really hard. So much of what I had spent my life doing. And when I, you know, before that, like people, I had in certain circles had become kind of a laughing stock amongst my peers for um, where the church where I was working, we were in the middle of a transition. We didn't have a, a, a senior pastor there. And I stepped in to fill that role in the preaching and we were experiencing some good things. And some people encouraged me to kind of put my hat in the ring for that. And um, they were talking about how great I was and how gifted I was. And I was uh, young enough to believe them. Mm -hmm. you know? And at the end of that, they ended up going in a different direction. I can't say that I wouldn't have made the same decision. I probably would have made it for different reasons. And then amongst my peers, I mean, there was just sort of all this sort of chatter about being too big for my britches and not being educated enough and not being skilled enough. And that was just, you know, for three years, four years, it was just embarrassment after embarrassment after embarrassment. And that, I remember laying in my bed one night talking with Rochelle in the middle of all that and just like in tears saying like, I hate this. And if I'd known the Enneagram then, I would have known why. I just thought that was natural. And she was looking at me like, not like this isn't all that bad. And she would say, th I would say things to her like, like you're not in this with me. And she would say, yes, I am. And it just never felt like that to me. And I didn't know then that I was experiencing that on a much more, in a much deeper level and one associated with my identity that um, I would know now. Like if 45-year-old Sean could talk to 34-year-old Sean mm -hmm. or 29-year-old Sean, I would say, well, this is, this is why in some ways forward. And so when I tell people about that, I tell them, you know, when we were in California, that was awful from like the very beginning. We had a children's minister on staff there who, you know, called my oldest daughter a snob um, because she was just a shy kid. Yeah. Um, 
it was just, it was bad from in every angle. And so I tell people those were the worst years of my life and the best thing that's ever happened to me. And we left California and we moved back to Texas. I had nothing to lose. Like I had nothing to protect. <laughs> like we lived with my mother-in-law for six months because we had no money. Um, um, I had no, you know, I was going to this church and temple that I really loved and I love those people. And, but it was small when we started, I think the first Sunday that I ever preached there, there were like maybe 40 people in the, in the room. Yeah. Um, and it, it never felt like rock bottom. Um, but coming out of college, most people thought that I was going to be kind of the next big deal. Yeah. And I wasn't, and I was old enough where it, it, it appeared to many and myself, like I'd kind of petered out. So if there's anything, there's that to hold the position that we're in now, sort of like kind of loosely, like it could all kind of go away. Um, and God's done some incredible things and we've been able to be a part of some really cool and neat things in the ministry world. But I, I know it's not me that did it. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, I, I think that's partly true. I, you know, you know, you've heard me teach quite a bit and you know that I say, that threes cannot experience transformation until after a significant failure. And I don't know if you've ever heard me tell the story about the kid at Baylor who, after I'd taught that, he was a junior at Baylor and all, you know, all junior at Baylor. And he came up to me and said, um, that failure thing, like, can you help me orchestrate that so I can get it over with? Now that's oh, yeah. such a three thing to say, right? Absolutely. And I said, no, no, it'll come. But I, I really can't help you with that. And I, I think it's difficult for anybody to embrace failure. But I think it's particularly difficult for threes because you believe that you're loved for what you do and not for who you are. Absolutely. What does it mean to embrace failure? Like understand accepting it, but. Well, what I try to teach threes who haven't failed yet is when it comes, know that it's the platform. Embrace it as the place from which you're going to have a different kind of life that you're going to like better ultimately. Reframe the failure. Oh, well, that's good seven language. <laughs> well, Reframe the failure. So during that, during that time, I mean, one of the, one of the godly women at our church said to said to us, um, there, there are some kinds of pain that you just have to sit in yeah, and that you, you can't re cause my tendency, right. Is to reframe it and say, Oh, what's the good thing here? And like, Oh, it's not that bad. And we can kind of maneuver things this way and that way to make something beautiful out of this, but just to say like, okay, this, this is the thing that happens. It is what it is. And not only can I not always change it, that I might shouldn't. Like I might just have to. Like this is this, this is, is it for me. Where it is, yeah. yeah. And that's really hard. I mean, it's it's easy to say, um, but because I do feel like I can make a like I work. I wake up in the morning, not necessarily to change the world, mm -hmm. but I know that. I can impact my surroundings every day. That's so great. I, you know, I really admire that in three sevens and eights. Cause I, I don't wake up with that. It just occurs to me 
that both of you reframe as a three and a seven, I would love for us to explore the difference in that. Because then when people don't know if they're a three or a seven, we'll have that nuance that comes with reframing that identifies how that's different in each of you. So I'm going to let y'all talk about it, and I'm going to throw in some questions as you do. As the best three and the best seven I know, I know that we can get this worked out. We didn't have to wait for another episode. Well, it seems to me when, when you reframe, like with these, when a three embraces a failure or reframes. Or sits in it. Or sits in it. It is to use it. Oh, on, on the healthy side, it's, it's to use it moving forward. Whereas if it was me as a seven reframing it, it's to get past it. If I had had some of the, just a few of the things that you had mentioned, a death or loss of a job or something that I really wanted that then didn't happen, I would reframe that and so that I can move on. I wouldn't bring that with me. And it seems like the healthy side of a three is to embrace it and then build from that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I, you know, talking about that time, I remember because the girls were very little when I got you know, fired and like I was fired. We, they use all the churchy language for yeah. being fired. Yeah. You're not the right one for this position at this time. <laughs> We're going through a season of pruning. Yeah. Um, all those sorts of things. I like that. You like a season of pruning. <laughs> and you're the branch that we're not keeping. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Here, you know, the funny thing is, like, my, my position was eliminated. Uh, but then, like, four months later, they hired someone for that position. There you go. So, really, just I was eliminated. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, so but I remember having a conversation about that, um, saying, like, is there a way that we can talk about this publicly where I don't have to tell my children that I was fired? Yeah, I get that. You know, threes are the motivational posters of Instagram, right? So right. it's you don't fail, you learn, you know. Um, yeah, reframing. Yeah, and that's all sort of – so a healthy, a healthier way for me is to say, like, no, like I actually tried that and I had an idea. I had a picture of what success would look like and it didn't work. Now, did I learn from it? Maybe. Um, Cause I've also learned that sometimes I do everything right and it still didn't work. There you go. <laughs> like that was just a failure. And like, I have to, if you don't accept what I have learned from me, if I don't accept that it is a failure, then it's really easy for me to blame other people. I've got a pretty, is it objective? Yeah. I'll look on it. So I've been, I've lost a job once and I'm holding on to this one pretty well right now. Yeah. You, but, you're golden here. But when I did, I mean, for the first hour, I was like, this is stupid. Okay. Now and, that's fascinating to me. So I just want all, all the listeners to, to note that you said for the first hour, hour. 60 so, minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long hour. A long hour. Okay. Okay. So when I when I lost my job, my re- my response to that is, I'm going to show you you made a mistake. Is that your response, Joel? No, no. See, and that see that's what I'm. That's exactly what I'm saying. Threes use it to yeah, as a platform to go from right. And I was for the first hour. This is stupid. 
maybe this isn't just why is this happening? Like, and yeah. then I was like, eh, man, I probably could have been fired like probably a hundred times over the past eight years here. <laughs> so now it, now it happened and, so, and I'll go get another job. And, yeah. and we left with on good terms and they said they would give me a recommendation. Yeah. Right, so yeah. it was not, it, it was not at all a, I'm going to show you. It was yeah. just a, that that's done now. And now we're moving on. Yeah. All right. With a three, seven and a two sitting here, which is, I don't know. I'd feel better if I was an eight. I think <laughs> I, I want to tell you something that, that I, I think I just figured out. Uh, and then we don't need to talk about Tunis, but <laughs> yeah, right. I think I reframed down instead of up. Hmm. I actually think that, dependent numbers ones twos and sixes reframe down instead of up i don't know what that means what do you yeah what do you mean by down <laughs> it's just perfect we're talking we only know up what's down i don't know i don't understand the direction either direction reframe all right so let me tell you when you both reframe it mm -hmm. you frame it up you reframe it up you say, yeah, I, I, I probably could have been fired before and I wasn't and I've been here. Or you say, I'll show you. Mm -hmm. But I say, I'm terrible. I don't say they could have fired me. I mean, I haven't been fired from a job, but I don't say they could have fired me. I say they should have fired me all those other times. Oh. You see what I'm saying? I think that you guys are in a, in, a, in a space on the Enneagram where moving forward is what you intuitively do. I was going to say, that's, oh, yeah. that I think it's an orientation to time yeah. where it's, for, for you, one, two, and sixes, it's in front of you. You stay there with it. It's not one hour of, I was, yeah, this never is my an fault, hour. their fault. No. I think the other numbers look, look back on it and what could have, you know, I don't know if a four, five, nine is, this could have been different. This I'll, you know, I'll do this differently based on this next time. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas with us, uh, I'm going to show you next time me, I'm moving on. And I think I'm not an eight, but I can see an eight saying, enjoy the second place yeah. higher. But I think, the part, and one of the things where the Enneagram's been really helpful, like I, I think threes are fundamentally positive. Yeah. People. Yep. And, I, you know, it's, it's not just for me. I think just about anyone that I'm in relationship with that I know well couldn't do just about anything. Like I've never uh, with our girls or with Rosha, anyone's close to us. And they said, yeah, I'm thinking about trying this. Like my intuitive response is, do yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, you can do that. Like what, what do we need to put into place to do it? So it's not just like, oh, I got fired. And I'm going to go show you. Yeah. My response for everyone is, hey, like, you know, set your intention and then go do it because you can. That's a gift that threes have that none of us know whether or not, like that's what they bring is what I've, I've picked up I on agree. in hearing other threes. And this kind of leads into a little bit, a uh, question I have. I think if we did a poll of a thousand people and said, what, which Enneagram number would you, do you not want to be? <laughs> and, you can't, and you can't pick your own number. Or yeah. which one do you, whatever. Uh -huh. I think threes would be like the leader. People have a bad, mm -hmm. in general, kind of a bad image of threes uh -huh. in their head. Mm -hmm. You know why I think that is? 
because I think they're behind in a three culture. Mm -hmm. I think if we ask that question in a country that's not a three country, in a place that's not a three culture, I don't think that would be true. I think it's all about jealousy. Uh, underneath all the right. stuff that people would say, I think people are jealous that you, you literally are the people who pick yourself up and dust yourself off and go succeed somewhere else. Mm. And I, I think that's the reason that without that failure, transformation is not possible. Because until you have that failure, you don't really know that you need other people. They're useful and helpful and you like them and you find them interesting and you want to be with them and you want to be cheerleaders for them and all of that. But until you have a failure, you don't know that you need them. And so I think your ministry is what it is and you and Rochelle are who you are in part because of those years in California. And I, you know, I kind of hope that for people. I know that sounds terrible. But when I meet young threes, I think, man, you've got so much going for you. I hope your failure comes soon enough that you can just keep sailing on because I know it has to come. Because a, a three that's unhealthy and full of themselves, not easy. Not easy. I think it's also true the other way around that I think that you said that threes don't realize that they need other people. Uh -huh. People don't realize how much they need threes. I agree. And especially groups, like, like you were saying, to have a cheerleader that, that is saying, oh, that's, that's what you want to do, you can do it. That's right. Let's make this happen. The positive aspects of three, people miss out on. Part of that is that you teach, especially with Know Your Number, from the, it's not the, hear the positive things about your anti right. number. And right. It's we learn from our mistakes, we learn from what we're not getting right. Right. We, I, can better identify with what we are struggling with. Right. All those years ago, I heard about threes from Suzanne. Like when you, like, I actually felt affirmed, right? That it felt like, okay, like someone understands right. why. And now I was in a room with a lot of other threes. Yes, <laughs> like, you were. <laughs> and it happened after that stretch, right? Mm -hmm. that yes, and it did. So Enneagram wisdom, I think, is, at, is best after some transformative experience. Okay. I want to know, uh, I, 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 you know, I could talk to you all day. I'm, I'm not going to get to, but I could. So I want to talk about what you want to talk about for a while, whatever that is. I want to talk about what you want threes to know and understand. I want, I want you to spend a little time telling my people what you wish they knew about you. What they, about me as a person or about me as a three? Yep. Okay. <laughs> um, now, interestingly, I, I have discovered in the last couple of years. So one of the things I do is, like I coach preachers and one of the things that we talk about all the time I teach them is um, preaching autobiography, which is sharing your story right. as you. And what I have noted is it's very easy for me to share my story as a way of keeping people from knowing my story. There you go. Because it's, it's extraordinarily curated. So the discipline has become for me to, um, to not cut the edges off the story just because, and it's not even, if I want to, it's not that I just don't, I tell stories where I'm going to look good. Sometimes I tell them where I look bad in the story, but that's what I want you to know. Right. 
And so I think threes are always doing this little thing where we're all, you know, the whole giving your resume all the time. Mm -hmm. But it's not until recently that I understood why. And what I think is misunderstood about me from other numbers and misunderstood about threes is that relationships really do matter a whole lot to us. And we're doing what we do to maintain relationships. Like this is the way that we learned to get love and to receive love. And like, I'm, I'm the things that I do, I don't do just to be successful, to check off a box, um, to right. say that I did it. But like I, for somewhere deep inside, I believe if I do this, you'll stay in relationship with me. Like I, if I provide my value and worth, this mm -hmm. is, then you'll say, oh, that, that guy's worth keeping around. Right. That transactional way of living, I found as you get older, gets extraordinarily tired. <laughs> like oh, just like, yeah. Like yeah, I see that. You know, it's kind of, just kind of tired. I, I think uh, a thing that is a problem for threes because you believe you're valued for what you do and not for who you are is that I, in a healthy, lovely, wonderful, older woman, younger man way, <laughs> fell in love with you in the back of that bus. I bet that doesn't sound good. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> it's happening right now. <laughs> But as we were on that party bus that was supposed to be a, just a tour bus in New York City, I just kept thinking based on the things you had said and who you appeared to be, I kept thinking, man, I like him. So I, I think threes, when they're not doing anything but being, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. don't know how likable they are being. No, no. I would, I would say that times a hundred. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, we've had good stuff that we've done together since, but mm -hmm. I, I developed respect and affection for you being with you. And then I got to know how smart and talented you are and all, yeah. all, all that good stuff. And so my inner reaction when you say that is, what was I doing that, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, that's really hard for, for threes to think, to really believe, hey, I didn't do anything. Right. And these people like just sort of being around me. And I don't know if that's because we have this mechanism inside of us that kind of asks that of other people. I mean, one of the things that I've learned from you, I'm really trying to be conscious of is to not have, to not, what's the right way to put it? to demand people be in their number. Like, so this is a seven, so I want more sevenness from you, or this is a two. Sure. Because uh, that's not helpful for them, and I don't really want it for me. Um, and I mean, to not do anything and want people around is really four and four or three. Yeah. The funny thing about that is that's what a three wants more than anything, mm -hmm. and we are not likely to believe it. Yeah. When did we yeah. get it? I uh, recorded a, a live podcast with Brian McLaren. Mm -hmm. He said a lot of very thoughtful and interesting things. One of the things that he said that I've been thinking about in the days since is that he's discovered that a lot of people aren't curious. Mm 
Mm-hmm. I think that's actually true. I think there are a lot of folks who are kind of caught in all that's happening and they don't have time to be curious or they don't know how to settle their curiosity. Mm-hmm. I think aggressive numbers are by nature curious. I think life is, life is hard enough as it is just when you're not curious, when you, for, 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 you. for, for, for people, yeah. for everyone, when you're going through life, life is difficult. Mm-hmm. And so when, especially we build up our personality, personality is getting us through life. Mm-hmm. Then by, by being curious, by rocking the boat, making change, that's going to make things even more difficult, especially mm-hmm. if the status quo is working, you know? I know exactly what and you're saying. Like Sean, you were saying earlier uh, about stories, you know, you, you're in control of the story. And I think that's what three sevens and eights do. They're in control mm-hmm. of their own story. And so that gives us more space to be curious because we're the ones telling it. Does that make sense? It does. I think you all are capable of telling, you know, Joel has a way of saying future Joel will deal with that. Mm, Okay. And I think y'all have future stories. My stories are either happening right now or they already happened and I'm telling them from that place, but I'm not, I don't create a future story for me. You and Laura do. There was this sense of, I am in control enough to drive this train to where I want it to go. And you talk about future stories. I mean, one of the things, and I actually counsel people to do this in really difficult times, but I know it's kind of in the back of my head all the time is that I'm constantly asking myself, what story do I want to tell? And that's, that's not about, I've got to go speak someplace next week. What story do I want to tell? Like um, when my girls were, when my girls are at home, when I'm, when I'm 70 years old, what story do I want to be able to tell about how I dealt with them? Right, right. And conflict, what story do I want to be able to tell? And in, in a way, it governs my behavior, though not necessarily my attitude or emotions. And so is that what you're talking about? Kind of That's telling- exactly what I'm talking about because I, as a dependent number, my orientation of time is what's happening right now. I live into the future story that presents itself to me. I'm not a big picture thinker. I don't think in terms of this overall thing that we could do. None of that happens for me. Mm. Right. And so if people don't have big picture thinkers, even if they're talented, I'm pretty good at what I do, mm-hmm. but I have to have a big picture thinker around me. All right, I'm going to come back around though, because one of my new questions because of that conversation with Brian is going to be, what are you curious about? Most of the time, my curiosity centers on why. And I think that's sort of a three question because we're, people say threes cut corners and I like to tell them we find efficiencies. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Well, I'm not going to change what I teach, but I I may use that to say, and the three way of saying it is we find efficiencies. That's lovely. (laughs) Um, Every three who listens to this podcast just went, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I'm actually, I'm, this is fascinating because I just had this conversation, Suzanne, with my dad 30 minutes ago, and uh, who I'm pretty sure is also a three. 
And at least my therapist would suggest. (laughs) 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 But that's where I got a lot of it. Um, I am really curious as to why we don't follow the rabbit hole down. And so this this is what I mean. Uh, maybe about three years ago, our oldest daughter, Re- Malia, really was sort of like, I don't believe, I don't know that I believe in God. Mm-hmm. And she was asking all those questions, which were right on time for her intellect and her age. And thankfully, Rochelle and I didn't freak about that. She was asking really serious questions. And I told her, if you, if you end up not believing in God, um, that's okay, as long as you don't believe in God but follow it all the way down. Like don't read a newspaper article or a book, like really chase the whole, like really know why that if I come to you and say like, why are you an atheist that you'd be able to articulate it? And we just do that on a whole lot of things, even as you know, with the Enneagram, like someone goes to uh, know your number or listens to CDs or they take a test and they find out a couple of things that they can talk about at a dinner party. And like, no, like, like chase it all the way down. And you don't have to chase down everything in life, but things that are really important, Mm -hmm. um, you need to, and the fact that we don't do that to me is really profound. And I'm just curious as to why. And I know we have the, we can, there are things we can hang on it, like time and attention and expense. And all those things have always been true though. Um, But like, why aren't you, why are we so, why is the investment in who we are and what we believe so low? That's one thing. And why are we so, the second thing I'm asking is why aren't people more committed? This is very three to the outcomes that they want. <laughs> um, like if you want to do X, Y, or Z mm-hmm. in your life, um, why not commit to those outcomes? Like you never set out to be a writer. Right. Like that's the kind of thing that happened for you, which we're all grateful for. But I know plenty of people who want to be writers uh, who think they're going to sit down at a computer one day and hammer something out. And someone's going to come and drop a bucket of money at their front doorstep and say, thank you so much for your. And that's just not the way it works. Like chase it down. And I don't understand why people do that. And I'm asking that question of more and more people. Like, why don't you do that? Which leads to another question I'm asking, which is why don't you believe in yourself more? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So a, a friend of mine just went into doing some coaching for his industry, which is video storytelling and all of that. And he had an opportunity to go work for this. Um, and he's a nine and he very he knows the Enneagram very well. And he came to me and says, I need some three knowledge on there you it. Go. And he said, how much should I charge these people who want to do this? And we looked at, we outlined everything. I said, you're the only, um, you're the only person that they can hire. I would say $50,000. And that blew him away because mm-hmm. it was a number so far beyond anything that he, you know, he probably would have done it for five. Right. But he said, I would have never thought that before. Can okay, let me tell you what I think that part of the difference is. Because you don't think $50,000 because of who you are. You think $50,000 because of what you know you can do. And many of us are thinking in terms of who we are, not what we can do. Mm. Right? So if, I, if, if the aggressive young adults that I choose to lead at times and follow at times, the two that are with me all the time, 
if those two say, let's do this, my first internal response is, I, I can't do that. And they lay it out for me that I can do it and that it's probably mine to do. And then I have the confidence to do it, but it doesn't come from my being because I'm thinking repressed. Mm. Right? Mm. So productive thinking involves looking at the future, not the past. Oh, that's good. And the reason you all are uh, upbeat is because nothing bad's happened in the future yet. <laughs> you haven't failed in the future. Nothing's gone wrong in the future. And the future is wide open and you can do it. Mm-hmm. And we have to be shown how we can do it because we, we don't live in the doing. You know, y'all, are, y'all have all three things to work with. But your feelings don't hold you back because you use them to take in information, not to decide what to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That's all very different from the other, the other numbers. Yeah. So I, I tell that story about my friend. And, like, that's not a bad, that's not a bad thing. Uh, I'm just so fascinated right. by that because it's so instinctive to me. Like to me, if you're the only one someone right. can hire for a job, right. <laughs> like go, you know, I had the same conversation with a friend of mine who, you know, was going to do a thing with Visa and she's a great business woman. Um, and I told her, I wouldn't take, if I were in your position, I wouldn't take less than a million dollars for that. And she just fell over sideways. Right. And, and it's partly because she can, I mean, she can get it because she's a fabulously talented person. And I just, I find it, that's my curiosity is why and how we're wired the way that we are. Really what that means for transformation. And because, as you know, I'm sitting here as a professional communicator, like I I speak for a living. And it never dawned on me until a few years ago that when I say something, all of these numbers are hearing something else. And what I think the things that are hard for me are easy for other people. And the things that are easy for me, there are folks going, Oh, I could never do that. Like I could never see that. Yeah. I, I, I get all that. All right. I want to explore something else. I've decided in the last two days that in the stances, mm-hmm. three sevens and eights are more like one another than the numbers in the other two stances. Why is that? I'm asking you. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't, I think there's significant, measurable difference. You know, and now I'm operating from the definition of the Enneagram is how you see. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of difference in how ones, twos, and sixes see. There's a lot of difference in how we are thinking repressed. There's a lot of difference in how fours, fives, and nines see and how they're doing repressed. I don't think there's, there's a lot of difference in how threes, sevens, and eights see. Everyone thinks that they're logical in their own way. Mm-hmm. Three, sevens, and eights, I think all understand the same logic. Okay, there it is. Combine that with orientation to time being the future. If we all have similar logic, mm-hmm. not the exact same, but similar, mm-hmm. and it's a blank slate mm-hmm. that we're working with, like the future, the future yeah. moving forward, then 
I think that's a lot of similarity when other numbers are dealing with the present mm-hmm. or oriented towards the past. Mm-hmm. Those slates are, I mean, those boards, everyone's got their own narrative, their own perception of what mm-hmm. has been, what mm-hmm. is right now. And that can just really clutter things up. Maybe. I don't know. I think that's all really good. Cause you know, I, I, I'm not logical. See, that's where I'm sorry. I th- that's why I was safe to say everyone has their own kind of logic. Yeah. Mm. Like, for instance, I think that Whitney sometimes is really, really illogical, and she does not see it that way. And, and what's that like with you and Rochelle, with Rochelle as a one? You know, it's, it's interesting to me. One of the gifts of the last, I don't know, maybe year of podcasting is how many people I have talked to who are married to ones and how deeply they love them and don't understand their feelings about themselves. Yeah. That's interesting because the Enneagram's given us so many handles to understand each other. Yeah. I'll give you an, exa- give you an example from this morning um, with her being in dependent stance. So today was my day to take our oldest to cross country which means we have to leave the house at 5.30 in the morning. So Rochelle's going to get up and do yoga um, this morning that, as part of her morning ritual before she leaves and goes to work. And I'm running a little bit late, which is, which is odd. And she goes, oh, she's sitting on the edge of the bed, totally dressed. She goes, oh, I'm not, I've run out of time to do yoga. And I go, why? And she goes, because I was... I was going to do it when you left. You guys are leaving late. And like a three, like if I'm going to start at 530, I'm going to start at 530. Like, like it's going to take me 30 minutes. And she was like, she does things. The things that she does that seem illogical to me are things like that, where it's like, why are you waiting on me to do what you were, what you need to do that doesn't have anything to do with me? Yeah. But see, I, 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 I get it. I, I wasn't in your yoga space. Yeah. You don't need me to be the, I'm not the yoga master. Yeah, you know, the, the, the pieces of, you know, that, that kind of, or that's all kind of orientation to time and stance. And like, that's been really helpful. So I can go like, I know why it makes sense to her. That's, and that's it good. Doesn't huh? make sense. It doesn't make the least bit of sense to me. To you. Yeah. Um, because I wake up as I think most aggressive numbers do with my own agenda for the day. Amen. And you have to stop my agenda. I'm not going to stop it for you. Man, that's gold. That's pure Enneagram gold. But uh, Suzanne, a thing that you said, that's just, I mean, so important to me was you said that ones convert every emotion to anger. Yep. And as, and as a three, so something happens in the, in the world, uh, Rochelle will be mad because yep. she's much more of a reformer than a perfectionist. I mean, you've been to our house. Yes. Decorate. It's, it's cleanish. I mean, we, when you came, we had it professionally cleaned because you were coming. <laughs> oh brother. Don't do that again. <laughs> is, um, is one's as, anger, is one's anger, the resentment, is that the, yeah. Yeah. So then there's resentment about y'all not leaving on time. Probably at some point in the day, she will be angry 
that um, I was running late, which meant she missed her yoga. And I will say that didn't have anything to do with you missing your yoga. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so, but when you, for us at least, when you kind of know how everyone frames that up, yep. makes, it, um, makes it a whole lot easier to deal with. Because as a three, when she's angry, and this is one of the things you were talking about, things misunderstood about threes, we really do take in everything with feelings. Like we don't use those to make decisions. And I don't think people have an appreciation for how tired it is. You, you do as a two, how tiring it is to feel people's feelings right. all the time. Right. And then suppress them. Um, so I'm thinking she's mad at me. Like, right. and she's well, she really mad at something she's on the news. Well, for in that moment, <laughs> what I want to do is to stay in relationship with her. So I will fix it. And we've got so many examples of this. This last year we moved into a new house. She was upset a few weeks ago that we hadn't done as many renovations this summer as she had hoped. Like in that next hour, I had people coming to the house to renovate a bathroom and to put in new shutters because like she's mad. And when she's mad at her life, I and or something in her life, right. I receive that as her being mad at me. Right. Um, and so I fix do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that um, <clears throat> we haven't talked at all about the fact that you both live with uh, women who have another voice that's a part of your relationship. Mm -hmm. I don't know the numbers, but when we go to workshops and events and people come here to the MICA Center, the number of ones with threes and sevens in relationship, relationships, yeah. marriage, partnership, whatever, right. is really, really high. It is very really? really high. Hmm. That that I found. I mean, really, we were there was a relationships three day event uh -huh. uh, about a year ago, and there were literally eight one seven combinations, all female ones. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Is that is that because ones want to reform the world, and threes are kind of like, and sevens are like, I can do it. Like I can put some and eights. Like we can, we can okay. fix it. We can. Is that, we'll have, is that part of it? It's absolutely. It will have shutters by the time you get home from work. And I yeah. think the other part of it is that three sevens and eights don't pile on with any ne whatever negative no. self-talk or pessimism mm -hmm. that ones have. Like, mm. oh, I'm, I'm a terrible mother. I, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Right. And y'all say no. The, the, the voice that's against that stands up against what's illogical is very valuable in those relationships. And so if they have that voice with them every day mm -hmm. at home. Because what Rochelle's dealing with today is a voice that says, oh, you were just impatient. The reason for that, you didn't do yoga this morning. You didn't do yoga this morning. And Sean explained to you how ridiculous that is. You're ridiculous. You are a ridiculous person who didn't do what you needed to do in order to do this right right now. And that, that reality is, is a thing that demands that the other partner not get in it with them. A feeling response is not helpful because it's illogical, right? So I understand the combination. I wonder how much you experience in the world people being 
illogical or um, not interested in moving forward and how you manage to not disconnect from that. Three, you know, one of my things that I teach is threes often leave behind people who don't get on board with their agenda. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm in a great place now vocationally in the sense that I'm not the boss and I'm probably more prone to do that in the past where I have been the senior person on staff. Yeah. And so um, it's really healthy for me in a lot of ways to not be the only person setting the agenda. And I think I actually owe a lot of this to my religious tradition. You know, I was raised in churches of Christ. Right. um, And part of what you get there in leading those kinds of churches and in being in those circumstances is you learn to be collaborative because clergy, no one has that much power influence in the organization. There you like go. You have to walk with everyone. Mm-hmm. So where I get irritated, where I sense the irritation that you're describing coming up is when I sense that someone's not going to be helpful for us to getting this done. Yeah. And then that becomes easy to dismiss them. I think I do it intellectually and on in the interior world because well, you're just not going to be helpful, mm-hmm. or if or if you're going to be too emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that's where I have um, that's where I struggle the most with people is mm-hmm. I I think I'm pretty good. People may disagree with it. I think <laughs> I think I'm pretty good with allowing space for people to be emotional. Where I am awful is that I think that there's a there's a, a watch on that. Like, okay, like three yeah, three minutes is up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, are we are we done with that now? Do something about it. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I've said a lot that I think the culture is totally non supportive in some of the transformative work that threes need to do. And I think that's exponentially growing in its lack of uh, challenge that you do something different. Like all, there are all these people in the world who feel like they've got to speed up, speed up, speed up, speed up. And threes in particular and aggressive numbers collectively seem to be able to keep the speed. Mm-hmm. Just keeping up. And I marvel at that. I just, I can't do it and I, I want to, and I know that it's because feelings are often problematic for me. Mm-hmm. I think that everything that you've said has been um, particularly helpful to threes. And I think what the two of you have shared is really helpful about your stance. I'd like to ask one more question, and that is, how do you experience yourself in six and how do you experience yourself in nine? Well, I can talk about nine more easily and it's not unlike what we were just talking about before with work and projects and those sorts of things. If I intuit that I have been marginalized in a group or that I'm not going to be listened to, I completely check out like I'm done. Um, if I if I don't have anything to bring to this, then I, I stop going to the meetings. Um, when I finish just so, my f- just so people know, this is the move to stress. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. When yeah. you're stressed, yeah, 
um, or when things become too heavy in terms of too many things to do, yeah, I will just pick a few of them to just like none of them get done on time or well. Um, like I would just check out. Like I don't experience stress in the same way of people who get frenetic about right, it. Right, right. I experience stress and is in detachment from everything. Oh, that's good. What? What's the? That's clearly the the low side. Low side. side. <laughs> <laughs> what is the high side of stress? Yeah, like when, um, when you use it to your benefit. When you go to the high side yeah, of nine, what yeah. does that look like? It's it's me when I say it's all going to be okay. Like, however, this um, Dallas Willard had this saying: "Whatever happens will be wonderful," and I I've taken that as like my email signature. Is that this is a, whatever's going on? It's probably going to be okay, and ultimately, it's going to be a, whether I exert a whole lot of force in this or not. But so I just need to do what I know is mine to do that's in my control and area of responsibility, uh, but it's probably going to be okay. And I don't tell myself that enough, but I do actually believe it. Like, huh, it's probably going to work out whether or not I exert a lot of the controls or pressure that I think I can. Boy, I'm not calling you nearly enough when I'm down and out. <laughs> I'm going to blow up your phone. With, now tell me how wonderful this is. <laughs> All right. What Just about send an email so you can get the auto. Response, oh, that's right. Uh, that's right. Yeah. What about six? Um, I've, I think I've always been a pretty um, loyal person. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I love the other sixes in my life because they ask me questions and get me to ask harder questions. And the next question, I love people who are what's it, like foundationally loyal and faithful. And I feel like one of the things, once you're my friend, once we're in relationship, we will always be in relationship. And so kind of that same weekend that, that we met, that we ended up on the back of that bus, you know, our oldest was going through a really difficult time. And I shared that with you and you told me, um, I don't do this for everyone, but I'm going to pray for your daughter. And you asked her what her name was. And like at that moment, I thought whatever she asked me to do for the rest of my life, I will do. Um, and that's just like, that's just the way it's going to be. Uh, and so that's how I experience sex. Great. That's really great. I'm going to slow down and be in this with you. And that's how you define loyalty. That's really um, non-aggressive acceptance. So there's this great story, not to, you know, uh, biblicize everything, but it's when, you know, Jacob reunites with his family. Yeah. And, and they're all traveling. And uh, he says to the rest of the group, y'all go ahead. And the Bible says, like, he's, they slowed their footsteps to the pace of the children. Yep. And I've always remembered that, that there are times, like, it's hard for me. It's not, but to try to discern like, when do, um, when do I need to slow my pace? Mm -hmm. Because what God does for everybody is accommodate. Um, and what I've spent more time thinking about how do I accommodate where other people are in the last year than I've ever spent thinking about that. 
Um, and it's frustrating as all get out to me because I'm ready to go. <laughs> What's the low side of that security movement for you? Like when I feel unduly criticized, right? And I latch on to my closest relationships mm -hmm. to reinforce how everybody who's criticizing me is wrong. There you go. That's <laughs> pretty, that's good. Yeah. That's the low side of the group thing. Well said. That's the low side of moving to six said very efficiently. <laughs> well, I'm thankful for you and for your work and for your way of being in the world. And it's quite a joy to be with you and Rochelle and your girls. And oh, thank you. I do think you and Rochelle get some credit. I think they're pretty great on their own, but are doing a really good job and I I'm so um, grateful for your willingness to talk about the fullness of your threeness I think it's going to be super helpful to people and um, I'm just overall grateful that I know you well I'm honored to be on I love you thank you for everything you've taught me and all the ways that you've helped and in the project that you mentioned before yeah I wrote and I said Suzanne Stabile, even for those of us who had great grandmothers, is the grandmother that we all wish we had. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I'm going to try to live up to that. I don't bake cookies, you know. That's okay. Neither did mine. <laughs> all righty. Bless you. We'll talk to you later. All righty. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much, John.